This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now it's time for another episode of Soccer in the City. A number of hot topics. Welcome, I'm Glenn Crooks along with John Rojas, Roberto Abramowitz, and Ariel Hudas. He's uh, stepping in for Tom Kolker, who is out of the country. Uh, he sent us a picture of uh, a nice hotel and a pool in some exotic place. So uh, maybe we'll get into that. But what, what, what kinds of things can we cover? MLS schedule is released. We haven't been on since since that occurred. And uh, some of the interesting reaction from New York City supporters regarding that. No significant transfers to report for NYCFC. Uh, the United States fails uh, to qualify for the Olympics for the third consecutive cycle. U.S. Women, uh, men's national team, uh, they won another friendly. Uh, and this time it was the first win on European soil against a European club since 2015. Uh, UEFA World Cup qualifier Maxime Cheneau for uh, New York City FC and Luxembourg defeated the Republic of Ireland in Dublin. So that was considered a disaster for Ireland and a U.S. Open Cup. Uh, now only 16 teams and the eight MLS representatives will be determined by standings through May the 3rd or after only three matches. I asked the question, why bother? Boys, what's happening? So, uh, well, let's tackle this in order. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the U. By the way, John Rojas, everyone. Uh, his background, we, we do the Zoom thing. His background are the five Olympic rings to, uh, you know, to tease this segment, to talk about uh, the U.S. U23s failing to qualify. But th but first, let's get to um, this is soccer in the city, New York City FC centric MLS schedule released. And uh, I think one of the more significant parts of this is that out of the 34 matches, 32 against the Eastern Conference, only two against the West. But two tough ones, especially May 29th at LAFC. And then nine home games out of the 17 will be Yankee Stadium for New York City. Eight at Red Bull Arena, which uh, we'll have to discuss. Roberto, what was your reaction to that? Welcome. How are you? 
Hello, everybody. Um, it was an interesting release because of the fact that now we have a more streamlined schedule. The way uh, we were told that things were happening was that games are going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, everybody's going to be basically at the same level. It isn't going to be like it was in the past where you might have some teams that have, you know, 15 games played and others with 12 and some with 11, you know, and things like that. So it's all going to be like week to week, almost very much like the NFL. So that, that's a good thing because it, it keeps the standings a little bit more in order. We had a, we had to have um, a little so bell that, that every good. time. Every time there's an NFL reference, John, we should have a little bell. So there's one. And I love that you bring that part of it up. Roberto. I, I'm sure I've had massive debates with you and John about the unbalanced schedule. And you guys are saying, oh, that, that happens in Brazil. It happens all over the world. Don't, don't be such. It's not such a big deal. And here you are making it your big point. I'm just saying that this is what's happening. I'm not saying that if it's fantastic or horrible or the other system was horrible, I'm not. No, I'm just you were favoring it. You're, you're saying it's I a think big it's positive. A, I, mean, I think it's okay, but it doesn't okay. mean that the other was horrid for any or any extent of the imagination. Uh, uh, what else came out of it? So basically, <laughs> most of it's going to be in the east. So we're going to they're going to control how much travel there is, and so most of it's going to be basically bus rides. Uh, every so often, there's going to be a plane here and there. But uh, only two trips out west, and this goes for every team in the east, and every team in the west only has two trips out east. Actually, it's only one trip out east or one trip out west because one of the games is at home. So New York City is playing LAFC in LA, but they're also playing FC Dallas at uh, Yankee Stadium. I believe that game is going to be held at. Yep. So that, that, was, uh, that was good. Obviously, the split of the games of, of where they're going to be played – nine at Yankee Stadium, a minimum of nine at Yankee Stadium, a maximum of eight at Red Bull Arena would seem to have grabbed most of the attention, none at City Field. And uh, a lot of the fans, and I'm not going to say a majority, I'm not going to say even a sizable amount because it's hard to say, but definitely a very vocal part of the fans, especially from the supporters, uh, seem to have a major issue with the amount of games being played at Red Bull Arena, which might wind up being six instead of eight if the Yankees can get kicked themselves out of the playoffs uh, uh, yeah, early right. on. So yeah. Th yeah. that's a big thing. I think that we should all you know, talk about that and how that affects the team and you know what the ramifications that of that is. I'm sure uh, John and Ariel have their thoughts. Let's start with John, and then we'll uh, reintroduce Ariel Hudis. Uh, how you doing, John? It's only because it's up to you who is the boss today, Glenn. Thank so you. I, I'm good because I was about to give uh, the floor to our guest, Ariel, our good friend. But uh, now but, we save the best for last. That's what exactly. we do on the show. Right. Which is why exactly. I normally go last. But Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's age, beauty, and then what? <laughs> 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 Listen, Mr. Five um, Rings. <laughs> um. Hey, you gotta take that rage somewhere positive, right? So yeah, let's, yeah. let's play with it. That, no, <laughs> you gotta have, have fun. fun. You gotta have a little fun with it. No question. Yeah. Um, listen. Um, regarding the whole schedule for this uh, season. Yeah. We're playing two leagues. That's the fact. Right. That's that's it's, a good way. It's two leagues. Yeah. It's two different leagues because they're actually. You can see even in the philosophy of the teams that majority of the teams in the East are in one way working on their franchises and clubs. 
and the West are working in a different way too. So not only on the field, not only on the uh, geographical differences, we play in two leagues. And I don't know how positive or negative is that. I mean, we, of course, we have to, uh, more than anybody, we have to understand the difficulty of the, you know, the, the country as big as it is and, and the situation that we are living in and the hard that it is to put up a league with so many teams that can have a real competition between everybody, right? Well, what, what do you, be, be more specific about, what do you mean about the West off the field being that much different than the East? What, what are you talking about? Well, in, in terms of development, in terms of uh, fans um, recognition or fans presence when it comes to filling the stadiums and going to the games and attending the games and connection between teams and fans, you see that. I mean, there's no secret with San Jose, with LA Galaxy, with LAFC, with Portland, with Seattle. It's totally different. You cannot compare that with Rebels, with New York City. Maybe you can throw in Atlanta United. But that is, you know, right now we get to see how people are going to react to that Atlanta United because this is not the same Atlanta United that people were following when they were champions. It's a totally different idea, a totally different thing. So that's, you know, we ha that's to be decided this, this season, this weird season. And that's what is hard to, to take. I mean, we, uh, and I see it from the point that we, especially Ariel and I, for example, Roberto in some degree too, we're kind of preachers of the league outside of the country, right? We got to be explaining people what the MLS is about and what's going <laughs> yeah. on here and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So when you explain to people that basically we're playing two leagues with, you know, and probably one team is going to face the other one only in the final, but you that's have odd. 26 teams, that's odd. That's very much uh, ring the bell for NFL again, but that's very much AFL versus NFL. Yeah. You know, what, how the Super Bowl uh, first came Correct. about, you know, uh, Correct. It was, you, and never, that's actually, you never cross or, or the world in baseball, the World Series. There, there didn't used to be interleague play. It was just the American League champions exactly. met the National League champions. And that's basically so, the answer. Yeah. Oh, OK. So you still turn in soccer into an American game. Yeah, a, a bit. Yeah. But it, that's that's a pretty what do you Ariel? I you know that makes the the MLS Cup title game you know a little more intriguing. I mean, it, it, there's a there's a build up to that when these two teams probably I mean they could have met earlier in the year, but there's a strong likelihood that maybe they hadn't. Absolutely, absolutely. The the, the final can be perfectly a game that has never been played in the 2021 season. Just only the final that makes it interesting at least right now from where i see the the league um what i see right now is that the the season can be very hard very 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 hard especially in the east i'm not saying the east is better um, i'm saying that maybe it's a little bit harder than than the west uh, competing inside the, the 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 east can be troublesome for for many many teams you have to make. You have to be at least seventh in the East to make the playoffs, uh, and you have to compete against Atlanta United, Red Bulls, Toronto, Miami, maybe um, Philadelphia, um, New England. I mean, there's a lot of competition and few places. <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit worried about that because uh, you left Columbus out. 
Yeah, of course. This could the be champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you look and, and Ariel, you know, what part well, part of what makes it difficult? I'm just scanning through it a little bit. Take July 17th uh, at Cruise Stadium. Yeah, I guess their uh, downtown won't be ready yet. Uh, and then July 30th at Yankee Stadium. So New York City plays Columbus twice in a two week period. Yeah, which and I, I, I suppose there might be covid reasoning because this happens quite often, like almost like I don't know. You're keeping the same two teams playing each other to, in, a, in a short period of time. I don't know if it's COVID related, but uh, there, on, there, are, me, there are a number of those circumstances. Yeah. Ari, let me interject right there because you said July 17. Yeah, at, uh, that's at Columbus. Okay. So the new stadium will be, uh, will be on service because they want to debut the, the stadium on July the 3rd. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. It says on the New York City schedule, uh, Cruise Stadium. So maybe we'll, right. uh, we'll call the, the new digital- stadium. Digital apartment. Yeah. Oh, is that what it's called? Cruise Stadium? Yeah, right. I thought that's the, what they the were called. It's mop free. Well, the, the other one was not, Stadium. It's not. But it's mop free. No, it's not. They're not calling it mop free anymore. And no. I, I thought they were no. calling it well, Cruise well. Stadium. So they're just calling it. Let's see here. I'm trying to find out. Uh, I don't see it here. The new stadium is new Cruise Stadium. Mm-hmm. The old one is. I don't know, ancient cruise stadium. I don't know. <laughs> they erased the Mafre signing. Right. Well, well the, the, old stadium, the old stadium will turn into the academy and the, yeah. Yeah, and the training nice. facilities here. So the first match against Columbus is, uh, well, uh, they've already had one in the preseason, winning 3-0. Of course, that doesn't, you, doesn't count. But uh, what uh, May 22nd, and that's going to be a Red Bull Arena home game for uh, New York City FC on uh, uh, May 22nd. All right. Well, what, uh, so what is I know Roberto has an opinion about uh, not utilizing City Field and using Red Bull Arena exclusively on the dates where Yankee Stadium is not available. Ariel, what do you think? Uh, I and then we'll let Roberto chime in here. But uh, I, I understand why people may be angry because it's not a um, uh, NYCFC is not dealing with uh, with something something that they couldn't have uh, foreseen uh, before. I mean, they are they are telling you from the very start that you're going to play no matter what in in Red Bull Arena. I have no problems with Red Bull Arena, but I understand people complaining about going to to Red Bull Arena. And uh, coming to Jersey is tough for you, New Yorkers. I'll tell you, man. No, 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 not for me. It's, not for me. it's a, it's a very, very nice stadium, and it's fantastic stadium. The location and the place where we get to see the games is fantastic. So I have no complaints at all about Yankee Stadium. I'm Red Bull Arena, but I understand people complaining about. Um, well, what's your? You're a New Yorker. Tell, say more. Why? It's it's your team. If they if they play in the backyard, why not go to that game? I, you know, I, I don't I don't I understand it's their rivals. Look, no, I, I would I would go I would go no matter what to to any stadium uh, if they um, Mets yeah. stadium any any stadium I, I would go. It doesn't matter. It's it's not a problem for me. But I understand why people are complaining. Uh, it's a it's a no no discussion and all. Um, 
thing to complain about, but I understand why they are complaining and why they are angry about the situation. It's a, it's a, the chicken and the egg uh, discussion. I mean, we will talk about this maybe next year, maybe the, the, the following year, until we don't have a date about the new stadium and the progress of the new stadium and, and a certain date about the stadium opening. That's, that's going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it will happen until we have a, some certainty about the, the, yeah. the, the, the new and, stadium. And I think Roberto and I have you know, pretty much talked about it. There, there aren't going to be, supporters have to understand one thing, whether you like it or not, there are not going to be updates. There will be no updates. Like we're at this point, we're at the, there will be no update. There'll be updates once the contract is signed and then when they begin construction, right, Roberto? Well, maybe even before that. But here, here's the issue. I, I want to go just go back one second. The the, the what was Mopfres Stadium is historic Cruz Stadium. That is the actual that's, name that's, of yeah. it right now. Oh wow! Okay. Historic Cruz Stadium. All right. I just saw right. Cruz Stadium. And I thought that's what they were calling it. But thank. That's no, good no, clarification. I, I, I don't. Uh, yeah. I, I understand that. All right. Anyway, get back to New York City FC. Well, there be updates? There'll be updates when there's oh, there'll be updates when there's something that's actually updatable. The, the problem with building stadiums in New York City is historic. Okay, if you go back and anybody who feels that these things can be done quickly, go back and look how long it took the Mets to build the new to build City Field from when they wanted to get rid of Shea Stadium. Take a look at how long it took the Yankees to build the new Yankee Stadium when they wanted to dump the old Yankee Stadium and not refurbish it anymore. Take a look how long it took the Nets to build Barclays Arena, all right? Barclays up in Brooklyn and Atlantic Avenue. I mean, they, they all took basically around a decade for that to happen. And the reason it takes so long, because first of all, You've got to be able to acquire the land. In some cases, you have to either go into parks. The city field didn't have that much of an issue, but it was still a problem. Uh, Barclays had to literally demolish people's homes and businesses to be able to build Barclays. So there was a big issue there about the fact that they wanted to build not only the stadium, but they wanted to build housing and offices and a whole bunch of things. And people's livelihoods, people's yeah, uh, homes literally were in the balance here, and there was a lot to be fought for. In New York City's case, maybe there was a window of opportunity at the beginning when they talked about the same area that they want to build a stadium in now, which is on 153rd Street, just east of uh, of 87, which is a Deegan, and and do that if they had bought the Yankee, that garage that is an eyesore, that is a white elephant, that is unusable, that has created debt for the owner, that they can't seem to fill ever. And that's where a large part of the stadium is going to be built on. But the guy wanted some outrageous amount of money for it, basically thinking that he was going to get, you know, a profit out of this, not only a profit, but like a huge profit because you know, he was going to hold the whole negotiations hostage. So if they were going to spend, I think, something to the vicinity of like $44 million for this piece of land that maybe was worth $3 million, okay, you can understand why they walked away from that and they didn't do it. And then when they went around and they started looking at different locations between, uh, you know, in Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx, 
uh, in, even in Manhattan, up near the Columbia Fields. I mean, they really went and they really looked around to see where they could go. And they had to come right back and they had to come back. And sure enough, and here we are several years later with a plan, because if you've read what the outfield has put out there and their reporting of this has been extraordinary, uh, there's a plan, there's a, there's a stadium, there's a park, there's a ramp that has to be destroyed. There's all these things that have to happen. But for all of this to happen, they have to go through community boards. They have to get a local approval. So they've got to do a whole bunch of things to make sure that they're in the good graces of everybody in the community board. They have to be in the good graces of the politicians who are going to either promote this or are going to be against it if somehow they don't find a way to benefit personally from it, because that is what happens. If, you're, if, if you have your hand out, and I'm not saying that any of these politicians are corrupt, I don't know, but the thing is that in New York, a lot of this happens. If you're not going to personally benefit from something like that, and you're not on the in, then you're going to be on the out and you're going to be fighting against it. And so what they want to do is make sure that they don't have anybody fighting against it. Okay, that they're not putting somebody who's going to say this is not good for the community and maybe we should build uh, another store next. Maybe we need a bigger BJ's or a Costco to compete with BJ's because that's right next door, you know, whatever it is. And so all these things that are happening and that they have to happen in the background and they can't happen publicly, I understand adds frustrations to the fans and it's understandable that this happens, but they just can't really talk about it because right now there's not much to talk about until they start actually presenting in front of the community boards. And then at that point, that what the team really needs is not a fan boycott, it's totally the opposite. They need to show that there's massive support for this team. The best thing the fans can actually do to ensure that they get a stadium is go out and fill Red Bull Arena and say, hey, we really need our own stadium because a 20,000 seat or a 25,000 seat stadium isn't big enough for us or barely or is the right size for us. But we need, they need to show that this team matters. And if, if they keep on either between boycotting or canceling season tickets and deciding that they're not going to attend games and they're going to go to the park or they're getting they're giving up and they're being frustrated and everybody's mad at Brad Sims for some reason, you know, and this is what it's going to be. It's going to be a much harder sell to the community board to get this stadium done. It really is. And I understand the anger and I understand the frustration and I know that they desperately want to do something that's right. But if they really want to do something that's right, that's going to help get this stadium built, then they got to go show that they support this team, that this team matters, that soccer matters, that New York City FC matters. And if they don't do that and the board's like, well, who cares? There's nobody here to present. There's like five guys out there, two of them with a drum, and, you know, and they're checking their text outside. Why is, do you think that we should go and invest all this money, right, to have a stadium built over here when maybe we can just build more housing or a bigger park or a school or whatever it is that in some ways also benefits the community, okay, because there's a housing shortage in New York. There's all these things. So if the things don't get on board with this, okay, and as much as some of them may want to hold their nose 
because they don't support some of the people in the front office and they feel that they've been done wrong by them, okay, then it's, it's going to turn out to be a not a, good, a not a good ending, or at least it's going to make it so much harder, so much harder for the team to accomplish what they want to do, which is build a stadium in that location. Wow. Well, I'm going to all the games. <laughs> but well, I um, it's well put, Roberto, and uh, I I think there's there's more than a grain of truth to that for sure, and you know, um, but I like kind of like I said, there aren't going to be updates, <laughs> you know, yeah. because that's what everybody's looking for a progress report, and that that was kind of my point. There won't right. be a progress report, and that's what that's where the the load of frustration. The schedule comes out. It's nine eight, slightly in favor of Yankee Stadium. And so on. Uh, all right. Well, enough about the schedule. Uh, it does begin April 17th at DC United, then April 24th at home to FC Cincinnati. I think it's fairly important for New York City to get off to a, a pretty good start because then at Philadelphia, at Orlando, home to TFC, home to Columbus, at LAFC. Nightmare. Nightmare. That's a pretty rugged start. So yeah. it's like, you know, you, you got to get six points through the first two matches, I think. For sure, yeah. Um, and, and Glenn, pull right there that uh, NYCFC is going to play the League's Cup. That's and, right. And, what are the dates that of that? Is, I didn't even put that down. Where? It's in August. August, August 9th okay. through September 20th. All right. And August 9th, if New York City plays there, it's going to be at home at Yankee Stadium. Okay. And it will be at so the stadium. So how many potential 14. games? How many potential games are there in the league's cup? No, it all depends on the, on on winning because it's a direct elimination. Yeah. Okay. Right, but that's what he's saying. How many how many games do you have to win to win the cup? Uh, so there are eight teams, so you need to win four games. Three, four. No, it goes four, to four, two, one. No, all of them in the United States. All right. The final is at a neutral location, Correct. but if two MLS teams advance, for instance, so like if New York City beats whatever Mexican team that they face, and the, the next step in the group is, is against another MLS team that beat a Mexican team, then they, then they would go to a, it may not be a home game per se. They could, let's say, if Philadelphia, I don't know who, I forgot who the other teams were that involved. But um, Sporting Kansas City, Orlando City, Sounders, and New York City. Yeah. The other okay, four they would visit one of those most likely in the East. In the, in the first uh, edition of League's Cup, the final was in Las Vegas. Right. So maybe the second time around for Las Vegas. Let's go. Yeah. Hey, I'll go. Let's go. That would, everything will be open by then, right? You're talking about September? Let's do it, man. Or less. Yeah. Yeah, the final should be around September 20th. All right, so that brings us to, look, so the schedule is, it's difficult. Ronnie Dylan, I don't think anybody disagreed, uh, you know, talked about, uh, you know, paraphrasing. New York City at the moment does not have the depth to win MLS Cup, so transfers are in order. There was a, our, uh, any, uh, any of you guys who tracked the South American scene, there was a report out of Uruguay that Santiago Rodriguez is a target of NYCFC, a, a kid that's uh, uh, 
has multiple caps with the U20s, U23s, and he's a Torque guy. Yeah. Right. That's that's why this the rumor started because he was brought in to Torque from Nacional, right, Ari? Yeah. And um and then the idea, of course, with these young guys that are uh, signed by the City Group is that they move them to Torque with the idea of putting them in any other team from the organization down the road. And yeah. since he, since he's very young, the idea was that he will play a uh, couple of months in Turkey and then maybe jump into New York City FC to you know make his his uh, his um, uh, his way of showing himself uh, bigger. Yeah, but, what, uh, but is, that's not something that's not something that is actually you know in the words or promise or sign or anything. Okay. I think the report this morning said uh, June. Um, he'll join by June the 1st and what what's his uh, just like a brief scouting report he's a midfielder is he uh, is he a guy that can uh, can log some minutes in place of Maxi is he that sort of midfielder uh, yeah but the first the first scouting report is Santiago Mariano okay Rodriguez Molina <laughs> so what do we if so Santiago <laughs> no, Rodriguez. Santi, Santi, Santi. Santiago yeah. first name Mariano, a uh, middle name Rodriguez, his first last name Molina, second last name as customs in South America. Right. And yeah, he he's an attacking midfielder. I mean, okay. uh, he, play, he plays the three positions uh, in the midfield as a right winger or left winger, but his mainly position is uh, the mid, the right mid, the center mid uh, on on. On the field, so it's an attacking midfielder. Uh, he's righty. He's not. I mean, he uses his left, but his prominent foot is the right foot. So it's 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 probably one of the options that you will say is a replacement for Maxi, because remember, Maxi okay. is on the last year of his contract. Yeah, and uh, the uh, I also read something. Uh, a winger from Brazil, Tiago Andrade. Has anyone? Uh... Anyone heard that one yet? I haven't no. heard about him. I remember rumors about Joao Rojas, the Ecuadorian player. Oh, yeah. But yeah. they went silent. I mean, it disappeared almost immediately, that, that, that chance of Joao Rojas. I don't know if he... He was, according to Ecuadorian press, he was out of Ecuador in... A, very very quickly and he was going to sign for NYCFC but we haven't had anything so far so we don't know yeah well, I'm hearing so, and, and with Santiago Glenn with Santiago he yeah. he went to Torque but he did not play in this clausura tournament uh Torque actually finished the tournament today they won 2-0 and they already qualified for the Copa Sudamericana and that's historical for the club. Wow. Since since 2017, this club this club was on second division. They won the promotion. The same year they got relegated. The following year they won again the promotion, and now they're going to play international club. So you know, for the kid, it may be a good option to actually stay. You know, another six months and play. The international tournament. Remember, he's only 21. Also, can, can I just add? I'm, I'm, we all saw them. I saw, but the uh, the new facilities that Torque has that uh, was built by uh, 
Uh, the the group is amazing. I mean, it is just absolutely gorgeous. That is going to help that team considerably. That type of investment. And, they, and they're set up. It was they're set up where academy. Everybody's in the same facility. Yeah. Is that the way yes. I read it? Yeah. Yes. There's a, there's a lot of bad blood going around that that facility. Not because the facility is bad. It, it's on the contrary, it's very good. It's very very nice and very. Uh, wonderful, but uh, big clubs in Uruguay are a little bit jealous of of Torque and the city yeah. group and the speed in, in which uh, was built is yeah. creating a whole fuss. Yeah, and and the Uruguayan uh, I, I have not this confirmed, but the Uruguayan uh, national team is supposed to be training at that facility very soon. So I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen about that. But no kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because well, they have they have a good a good training facility, but they are going through renovations and stuff. It's a good place, but they're apparently they're going to 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 use it. I don't know for the next Uruguayan national team games or whatever, a couple of weeks and so on. But Peñarol and Nacional are a little bit angry about that, and <laughs> it seems that like they they are coming. Coming from two big clubs that share a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I, I know that the, there are uh, there is some noise that New York City is close to, to signing someone. I know we've probably uttered that before, but uh, but there's a lot of noise. Not sure which one of these or if it's someone else. Uh, Malta Admondson, uh, who is the, the left back that they signed, the, the, the Danish yeah. kid. Uh, a real yeah. left back. He's a real left back. That's he doesn't play. He doesn't. He doesn't make his way to the right side of the field ever. You know, maybe only to answer the telephone. That's about it. But he um, apparently he's got an break. he's got an appointment for a visa on March thirty first, and if he does get it on that day, he'll get on a plane. He's got a quarantine for seven days, so there's a slight bit of hope that he might be around for the friendly against Hartford on April the tenth. So that's the hope with uh, Malta, and then the other. Uh... You are, you actually don't want to do that, Glenn. And you as a coach know that. I mean, this is a guy who is, you know, going through a lot of paperwork and travel and 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 excitement. Uh, his body probably he may be working out, of course, but but the body needs to adjust. And then coming in here, settling here, I rather, you know, get him doing. Uh, his own plan, his own workout, letting him, you know, run the days little by little, getting him, getting him together with the, with the, with the group to train. And, and you don't, you don't need a friendly to risk a guy like that. You know, you're bringing him in for for the long run. You don't have a game in a month that is, you know, the end of of any tournament. You're not going to win any trophy with him playing on a friendly. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I don't disagree with that. And so I, I understand what you're saying from a coaching standpoint and the science will help tell them, I think probably too, but uh, you have to think about left back and Goody Torrenson being your starting left back against, Col- against Columbus crew SC. I, I just, you know, I, you know, if it comes to that, is, will Chris, Chris Gloucester make enough progress and will he, hey. will he be, will he Playing be with three center backs? Or or play with or Tony Rocha, bring him on, baby. 
Um, anyway, we'll we'll see how that progresses. But uh, I trust Ronnie will put the best team out on the field. How uh, he and his uh, his staff well, uh, see it. So. Well, well, Glenn, one of the things I mean, we've been talking about players that might be coming in, and uh, there are also players that were rumored to be going out. And uh, the one that was most prominent was Tati Castellanos, and he was supposed to go to Palmeiras, but. Uh, the way things are going, things seem to have cooled down considerably in uh, that process. For what I'm hearing out of Brazil is that uh, Palmeiras all of a sudden doesn't want to spend any money. Uh, they were after Borre in River. That didn't uh, pan out. And now they seem to have basically been shut down. So if they could find a way to get a very cheap loan and get Tati that way, then that might work. But otherwise, uh, it seems that that is going to fizzle out right now. And, I mean, New York City, I mean, sh- unless they were going to get some sort of great deal, it doesn't make sense for them to, to, to send Tati away because he's their only number nine. For the kid. He doesn't make sense for the kid. Yeah. And he said it, uh, you know, last year or probably 2019 even, when his name started again to flourish and there were rumors that uh, – Clubs like uh, Boca and San Lorenzo wanted him, uh, or Vélez and Vélez in San Lorenzo, Valdéria. And he clearly said, listen, I have no interest in coming back to South America. My, the point to coming in here is to show the city group and to make that jump to Europe. Plus, they are about to cancel the um, Paulistao, the, the, the big exactly. uh, Sadual tournament in Sao Paulo. Because of COVID, they are they they have just canceled a couple of uh, rounds, but they are going they are going to cancel the whole thing. Apparently, in a couple of weeks, they are waiting to see if they can uh, manage somehow the, the the COVID situation in Brazil, which is very grave. But they are fearing that they have to cancel the the whole tournament, uh, the Sao Paulo tour- tournament. I mean, in in, in a couple of Brazil's the that's actually Glenn. That's actually something that teams in MLS and scouts in MLS are very wide open looking and following. Sure, because those teams stop. You know, any any kind of MLS team can come in and say, "Listen, we pay the salary, loan the guy to us." Yeah. Right. You know, the guy is going to play. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to have the guy sitting at home and paying the salary. Let just let me pay the salary. Period. And in a much safer place. Yeah, of course. Brazil's Brazil's the worst part uh, spot in the world right now, right? For COVID. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One, one of the most. Yeah. If, but it, Glenn, if listen, it's not the worst, another, it's close. Yeah. There's another good news coming from Brazil, and that you may like. Brazil is uh, the, the Brazilian uh, Federation is setting up a rule now. Yeah. In which a team only can have two coaches in a season. As Top, I, saw that. I saw that. Which is beautiful. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable that they have to put a rule in like that, you know. Yeah, Mexico should follow. Poor Dome Toron. But that would have been just one, I guess. Uh but even bring Dome. Sorry, by he the should, way. He, He's getting if that, if that was if that was an American tournament, he should receive a ring for that cup. Because exactly 50% of the points in which the team was champion were made with Dometorin. They switched the coach and they made exactly the same amount of points in the rest of the tournament. I was talking to somebody today 
And uh, I think there's only been one team uh, to me. There's only been one New York City FC team that had a legitimate shot at MLS Cup, and that was the 2019 team. And that was the team that learned how to uh, – I just interviewed a guy for my XMFC show today, and that's where it came up, and we were talking about positional play. And the word he used in this book that he wrote called Al- – you got to read this one, John. Uh, it's called uh, – where is it? Alchemy uh, – I got it right here. No, where is it? Oh, here it is. Alchemy Coaching. And it's a primer on rondos and positional play. Did you read it all? uh, I've skimmed a lot of it, and I've read a lot of it. So it's a little bit of both to prepare for the interview. A guy named Patty King. You have my address. And Grant Knight. (laughs) Yeah, I'll sign it first. I wrote it. But uh, there's a bit in there that uh, refers to self-organization. They're talking about the team. And... It reminded me of New York City FC from about the midpoint of 2019 on when no matter who they played, no matter what adjustment was made by the opposition, New York City could, they could, they met the demands. They made the adjustments through positional play because that's what the the spatial aspects of positional play will teach you. You could solve anything. And uh, that team and if it wasn't for, you know, I'm not blaming one guy, but Richie Larea, uh, you know, gets decked in the area by Ronald Matarita. Just, you know, one of the horrible penalties you'll ever see. Fouls just that's mental. That's mental. Huh? That's not even. That was mental. Even, he was shot. I'm not. No, no. I'm, I'm saying if it wasn't for that, for that play, yeah. I'm saying if it was not for that, yeah. that play, yeah, that. New York City, I think, had a legitimate shot at winning MLS Cup, but no other year. But, uh, None I of the Patrick years. One second. No. I agree with everything you're saying, but D- Dome bears responsibility for that. Because Dome, I think, at that point, had only made one change, and he was holding on to the other ones. When Matarrita, who had worked so, so hard during the game, okay, to get that game tied up, because New York City was just, just pushing everything forward. And once they got the game tied up, they sort of, like, relaxed a little bit. And then Toronto started to come. But at around the 80th minute, and Ariel and I were talking about this, saying, you know, Matarrita looks spent. You know, it wouldn't be a bad thing to, to switch him out. Because he really looks spent. I mean, more mentally than physically, it was both. It was it was a combination. And then, sure enough, he winds up making the the final mistake that uh, that winds up killing the team. But yeah. I mean, I really thought that he should have been taken out in the 80th minute because he had left it all on the field at that point, and he was becoming a liability. All right. Did you, did you guys read the the, the things that uh, people at uh, FC Cincinnati are saying about Matarita? They are talking about him like if it was uh, Ronaldinho or something like that. A big, big star. He's a, the greatest soccer player that has come to FC Cincinnati. I mean, I'm happy about for him because it's it's good. They are, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I feel that they are exaggerating a little bit, but they really feel that Madarita can, can, can be an improvement for them. Evidently, and it could be, it could be, Ari. Yeah, it could yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. if they play with three, if they play with three center backs and he plays as a winger, yeah. you know, mostly occupied of attacking yeah. and giving trouble yeah. to the opposition, yeah, he we've can be a that, really influential player. I yeah. think we've said that since 2016, haven't we? <laughs> totally, yeah, it's really his best position for sure. 
Yeah, He's much and, better going forward than going back. Well, that's the position, though, left back that uh, concerns me most going into the season because Malte probably won't be ready and uh, Gloucester probably won't be ready. You know, maybe he will. I, I, I don't know. And then that puts Goody at left back full time, which uh, Nothing I just don't think that's uh, that's a good way to start. I don't well, think unless you, as you said, play three in the back and you play three cent and you're playing uh, well, I have- with Sands and uh, and and Chano, and then you're using somebody like Tajiri Shradi up on the left side, and then you don't have to worry about putting Goody in the game. That would be really Goody. Well, that would be really Goody. I I like uh, I like the U.S. men playing uh, three at the back. But let's get that. Let's move on. Uh, this is soccer in the city. Uh, good chat, guys. I'm Glenn Crooks, John Rojas, Roberto Abramowitz. Ariel Hudis. I'm just saying it in the order that you guys are on my screen. So uh, uh, no, no favoritism there. Okay. Uh, all right. U.S. fails to qualify uh, for their third consecutive Olympics for the last five. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, this morning reminded me so much of the day after the U.S. senior team failed to qualify for 2018. It really had that. And then as someone who works for Sirius XMFC, been listening to the radio all day, and you know that's uh, everybody has chimed in. So I'll let you guys start it up. Um, outside of the fact that uh, you know I was <laughs> I was really perplexed at Jason Christ's post game. Just amazing, right? Some of the things he had to say, but um, beyond that, um, let's get into it a little bit. I mean, it's worthwhile. We should give our opinion. Everybody else is. So let's go. Uh, all right, Roberto. Oh, I get to go first. Oh, boy. It has to be under five minutes. Your stadium dissertation, which I thought was very good. It cannot be that long. All right. I'm going to cut you uh, off. That's fine. That's fine. I get that. Um, Thank you. The, the, minute, the, uh, you're welcome. Uh, the, the main <laughs> issue. I mean, to, to me, the main issue is it, it falls between the guy who runs the team, which is Jason Christ, who's a coach. And then, but beyond that, because this goes back to 2019, it falls on Ernie Stewart. Because Ernie Stewart made the choice of hiring Jason Christ to do this. Now, either in tweets or on this podcast, I expressed the fact that I didn't think that this was a good hire. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back or anything, because I, I would have loved for it to see him succeed. But there's nothing really outside of what Jason Christ did in Real Salt Lake in his, in his years there that he's been able to duplicate. It, as a matter of fact, it, it, it's quite the contrary. In his two years with, our, with New York City and Orlando, both places where he got fired, he has a record of 32 wins, 20 ties, 48 losses. What in that resume? And if you see both those teams play and you see – how New York City reacted between David Villa basically revolting against him after that game in Dallas and bringing along Lampard and, and, and Pirlo, and Pirlo uh, where they lost that game 2-1. to one. John, that was the game you did with me, uh, the first one of the year. Um, and, and that was the beginning of the end there, if not even before, because he was losing the locker room. And there was... It was one of those things where you just didn't see where it was going to happen. I was in favor of retaining him at the time in 2015 before actually finding out a lot of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes and why it became important to make a change. 
And I got it. Okay, so he gets another chance in Orlando, which he should have, which because everybody deserves a second chance and to learn from your mistakes, but nothing better happened there. If anything, it went even worse. So now you have Ernie Stewart seeing this body of work and saying, hey, this is a guy who's going to bring us to the Olympics for the first time in 12 years. I don't see it. And then, if well, we what about Inter Miami? But Roberto, Inter Miami hired him as technical director. Well, they did, but he's not coaching. So maybe he has. Well, there's a difference. You're he's setting no, the no, agenda. He's assistant coach in Miami right now. He's a USL yeah, coach. No, and he's, no, he was the no, USL that's coach. Even, that's, even, that's even worse. That's even worse. Exactly, Lynn. No, that's even worse. But let, let Roberto finish. The reason yeah. I feel that that might suit him better, okay, because when it comes to making game time decisions, if you're not, if you're too worried about it, okay, or you don't have the, the mentality for it, then you're going to make mistakes as you set up your team, you make adjustments, make lineup changes, and more than anything else, encourage your team. Okay, make them run through a, make them run through a wall for you. And I never got the sense that that was the Jason Christ mantra. Okay, that that people were going to go, oh my God, this guy is my leader. This is my captain, and I'll do anything for him. Okay, he doesn't seem to be that sort of a leader. But I didn't like the team that he picked, and I know that this is an NYC centric podcast. So what I'm saying, you can take it with a grain of salt or not, but. When you have Ronnie Dyla all year long saying, you know, one of the best guys, one of the best sixes this league has seen is uh, Alex Ring. But my best two, six and eight or double six combination is Sands and Parks, okay? And you've got to take your best, who supposedly one of the best sixes of the league, and find someplace else to play because you don't want to break up that duo because that duo is so good. And Jason Christ has the chance to pick them, and he doesn't put them on his team? You leave Jeremy Ibovacy from Portland off the team? You know, players like that, because you don't have, I mean, supposedly Soto was supposed to do good, or, you know, some of the other guys who we had there, Ferreira, uh, you know, had done well for the U.S. national team when he got his chance and got a hat trick and stuff. Fine. But, I mean, there just wasn't seem to be enough redundancy up there because once these games started, they didn't work. But and I think it's more... How they adapted to him or not. But you, you leave Sands and Park, Parks off the team when they make one of the best tandems in the league at a position that you real, that is critical for the team. If nobody scores against you, you don't lose. Well, they're complimenting... Well, if you don't bring both of them, you know, certainly Sands, I think... Uh, was a strong candidate because of his versatility. I mean, you could put him at the back, or you could. But then you've got that right. But if you bring you both of them in, you have a connection. You have two guys who understand each other, who can wink at each other, and know exactly what's going on. Yeah, I, you want that on your team. That's a well, no, that's a positive approach. You know, that's a recruiting approach. You know, you're bringing two guys from the same team so that that have played together. My biggest thing with this whole look. So his Jason Christ staff included C.J. Brown, who was with him. Uh, at New York City FC, Jeff Kassar, you know, who replaced Christ ultimately at uh, at RSL and uh, and then Rob, Rob Vartugian was the goalkeeper coach who's still the current NYC. He was with Jason in 15 and has uh, has has managed because he's, you know, such an exceptional keeper coach. 
and has this great relationship with his keepers. He was also on this staff. I that so I look at that staff. They had him for a month. Now, I look. I have not coached players at that level. All right, at that particular level. But if you have a team for a month, you should be able to. Even if you don't have actual games you could play, you could have interest squads. You got small side or whatever. The ability to learn how to play in a system and a shape and together and to form relationships does happen in training. It does. And where where along the way were they improving in this uh, qualifying series of games? Where did they? So here's what happens. So you have you train for that long and then you go to a tournament and the first game is whatever it is and you don't get too crazed. But hopefully the second half is better than the first half. And then the second game, the first half should be better than the second half of the. And that's the way it should go. That's the way it needs to go. But to me, if you're managing all the different aspects of how you're playing and understanding your personnel, that to me was the more if I'm going to be critical of Jason, it's more that I didn't the team didn't improve. And you had you might say a month is not enough. I don't agree. Not if you have them every day, you got them in meetings here, all these different things you do with them. So that's my uh, whether they should have brought Eric Williamson or 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 uh, Abobasi or, you know, whoever it is, whoever or Sands, whoever. Just take that the team he had. They didn't improve along the way. No, they got worse. They got worse, especially in that first game against Costa Rica. They had a better first half than the second half. They were holding on. If it wasn't for David Ochoa in goal, I mean, they probably lose that game because Costa Rica was better than the United States and not and, and by a lot. Yeah. I mean, Ochoa saved their skin. All right, Rojas, you've you've got the five rings to. You know, John's got the Olympic uh, rings behind him. By the way, you, you don't see it, but we're just telling you. But. And now he's, yeah. now he's rubbing his head with both hands because he's got something to say. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I had to, you know, buy my tongue since last night. What were you saying and, last uh, night? Like uh, while you're watching it to yourself. Profanity is all the way. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope your kids weren't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. It, it, but, uh, and today, after sleeping and trying to see it in a different way which didn't happen the only mm-hmm. thing that i could find was to turn those profanities into better words and i basically wrote i didn't wrote up an article or a piece to publish but i wrote basically you know a dissection of what i was seeing and 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 i will say that you can split in percentages you know you can say it's 40, 50, 10, or 30, 70. But, of course, everybody has a responsibility here. Federation first, uh, coaching staff, and then players. But the main point here, because at the end of the day, you have to look forward, is what's going to happen, right? I mean, it's three cycles, and people say and saying today, yeah, but we didn't even lose against Mexico. We lost against Honduras. Yeah, Honduras is being three times in a row. Honduras has been in a semifinal four times. Thanks, Roberto. It's been in a semifinal. It's, for them right now, for them, it's cost to mind, right? 
it's cost to Mari to be on the on the Olympics now for Honduras. And they are a good team. I mean, they of should nice that they are exactly a very, good, a very good team. So the big question they got out of the group is, stage as well too. So. So as you said, yeah. they made the semifinals once. They got out of the group stage another time. I mean, they're not a bad team at all. So it's not like, oh, we've lost to Honduras, no, some and, you know, right. generic team. No, they're good. Right, and 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 the people will say, well, this is not the same players. This is not the same coaching staff. So how come? Right, but this the structure, the the way that federation prioritizes this event and this competition. Okay, and that's the big question. What's going to happen now? Is U.S. soccer prioritizing this big event, which is really important for for those young guys? Because it's going to be hard for ninety percent of those guys that we saw in this uh, qualifier to be at the at the full national team level with the yeah. with the yeah. talent, individual talent that we we see right now in in, right. in America. Right. So, did the federation prioritize? No, they not. They did not do it. Simple as why. Because you already explained what is Jason Christ doing in that post? Nothing. He has nothing to do with that job. Second, if you prioritize in this, you don't have that coaching job as a part-time job. It's impossible that the guy is working for the national team and working for the academy at Miami SC and then coaching the USL team at the same time that he should be focusing on the players that he's going to take to this very important qualifier because our federation hasn't been there. Our team hasn't been there in three cycles. Correct? So is that important? Yeah. Well, Good. if you're looking Good for point. cheap options, if you're looking for cheap options, you don't, high, you don't, you don't end up with high uh, class results. Look mm -hmm. at Mexico. Look at Mexico, right? They're going, you know, to, to, to the Olympics. And they're going uh, consecutive to the Olympics. It's not the first time. They went last time, too. They won a, a, a gold medal in the Olympics, right? Tata Martino came in and said the Olympic qualifier is a very important it's uh, a priority. For them. It's, it's a, a priority. priority. It's a priority. And Tata Martino, how do you know this? Tata Martino left. Argentina because the teams did not commit to the national team so they yeah. could have a good roster to compete. So this is, a, and this is the reflection of how that organization prioritized this competition. So if you give a guy, a guy like Chris, like Christ, sorry, that post, and then he can do whatever he wants, work three, four uh, uh, different kind of coaching jobs at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then he go, and then he goes to the tournament and then we started to talk about the, 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 the tactical games. And he plays safe because that's what he did. No one game, United States were dominant. None of the games. No, no. None. No. no. And in no game, United States wanted, let's forget about the tactical structure, right? Let's talk about the, the, the decision, the motivation, right? Every single opposition in that tournament wanted it more than the United States. You know, I, I, that, can I and that's a reflection. I wanted that, of the coach. It, well, that's it's a, a reflect, reflection of the coach. It's a reflector of the coach, but it's also I I, I talked to. Um, so I did a broadcast today, St. Peter's University against uh, 
Quinnipiac from Connecticut and the Quinnipiac coach, Connecticut guy. Well, he's a Massachusetts guy, but he's been there for 16 years and it, half his team, over half his team is international. And there's a big debate in Division One college uh, soccer about, you know, international versus American kids. And some people, the debate centers around, oh, you're taking away scholarships from American kids by bringing uh, in, in European players or South American players. But I thought what he told me was quite interesting. He said, well, not every American player, certainly, but the American family, the American player, he said, there's a sense of entitlement. There's a sense of arrogance when the first meeting you have with them, they're asking about what kind of scholarship you could give them. And he said, and, and he's, he's had European players, a lot of European players, or, or international players on his team for years, all throughout his time there. And he said, they're, they're just, they don't have that. They don't have that, uh, that aura of, uh, of invincibility that I'm better than you. And th- you know, they come in, they work hard. They're there for the academics. And I thought it was an interesting comparison. Cause then when I said, and you know, and this guy's been involved with some high level kids, I said, well, that kind of reminds you of probably what happened last night. Honduras, the, those players looked like they were playing for their next meal. And the U.S. players were, they didn't start playing until they were down 2 0. Maybe they were. Maybe they were playing for their next meal. But, right? Exactly. Yeah. What, do, By the way, the kid who scored the is, second no. goal, the, the kid who scored the first goal is from Brooklyn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I know. But that's, I mean, that's the point of. But of, that's what you were saying, John. That's why I brought it up then. Yeah, it was like desire. Right. There's like this. Uh... It's, and, and, and it comes down. It trickles down from the organization, from the federation to the coaching staff, to the players. Correct? And then all the cries about uh, uh, the players that weren't allowed to go to camp and the, the Atlanta United players and the international players and the, 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 the good players that we have at that uh, age range under 23 can I say a profanity here? Fuck it. You don't cry for who's not with you. Right? right? It's just like they were you, injured. Just you, like they you, were get, injured. you get the wise. You, you had eight injured players, so you got to play ready? with you. You got the guys with you ready yeah. for the battle. Yeah. You know, if, if, you, if you had to make, this is an important tournament, and if you had to take the decision, we're going to get 23 college players, five MLS players. We're going to set them down two months. Right, we're gonna prepare this team, and they're gonna go out and kill every single opposition, and then they don't qualify. Fans will be gutted, but they wouldn't be on rage and that anger mm-hmm. that they have today. The team that they brought down there, talent-wise, was good enough to qualify. Of course, First. and that's another yeah. part of the coaching yeah. stuff. Listen, Glenn, the big coaches in this game. What did they tell you? My responsibility is create defensive coordination and set up the team in a way that they can create as much opportunities to score as we can. After that, it may be luck. It may be a straight from the, from, from, from the forwards or just plain and simple work. But it's not my job, right? And then many of them say, if we don't score, but we create a lot of opportunities, I'm calm. I understand that that will, you know, at some point going away. But, you know, the, the U.S. national team did not create a ton of opportunities. They were games, the first game were one shot on frame. Mm-hmm. 
Okay? Yeah, yeah. So last yeah. night, same thing. So that is on the coaching. And you see it. You see, we're not creating, you know, you, we're, we're not creating opportunities. We need to do something. How are we going to go to the Olympics? How are we going to qualify? If we're having one shot in 90 minutes on frame. How the about, first game. How about the fact that Kreis and Burhalter, though, have spent so much time together? I don't know to I don't know what percentage Jason Kreis, his brain is within or my uh, with Miami, with the USL, the Academy. I don't know what percentage all these things are. But I do know, but I do know there was a, there was a, uh, there was a camp in January, right? Which essentially was a U23 camp. They called it a national team camp, but the U23, and it was really, they were, it was positioned to be a camp to help prepare to qualify for the Olympics. So what aspect of that coordination between Chrysler Burhalter escaped what occurred last night and, and throughout this qualification, you know? I mean... Well, on the field, very little, to be honest. Because that team that Jason Christ put on the field for three games in, in Guadalajara did not play 10 minutes as a team that Greber Halter would love to watch. But, but John, let, let's take a look at, at if South America has anything to show the world. is. Um, very good specialist in this kind of teams in under 23, under 20, under 17, under 29, Victor Pua in Uruguay, Jose Peckerman in, in Argentina and in Colombia. Uh, the Brazilian school has been very successful over the years. Why don't we hire the U.S., I mean, hire a specialist full time. For, this, for this team full-time? That's I mean, the point. Uh, I will say Oscar Pareja, but let's find another guy. If also Oscar Pareja wants to work for Orlando right now, he doesn't want to go to the under 23s or whatever. I understand that, but there's a ton of guys that can work and be a specialist with this group of uh, players. And, and, and it's not the same running a, an MLS team than running a, a, an under 23 pre Olympic squad or whatever. It's, uh, it, it takes uh, uh, different things to, to, to put in those players and to apply to those players. And, and I don't know. I think, I think that the U.S. needs a, a specialist. Maybe some, somebody from, 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 from there. I, I mean, Oscar Pareja, Peckerman, Victor Pua, whatever. Choose Wilmer Cabrera. Wilmer Cabrera. Choose the one you like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will make the work easier and better than, than Jason Christ for sure. I mean, it's, this then, has been horrible. Right. And then, and then what is the, what is, what is the consequence on all this for Jason Christ? He's back at his own full-time job tomorrow. Yeah. Nothing. Well, his future as a, as a head coach at an elite level though, I think well, right now but he's that's, in a full-time job. So yeah. Uh, uh, April the 17th, Inter, Inter Miami plays LA Galaxy, and Jason Kress will be sitting on. He's going to be on the bench. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and he's in a nice part of the world, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, at, let's, um, let's move on from that a little bit. Um, and, I, you know, we, we go for the talk about the full team. Uh, a little or maybe next time spend a little bit more time on them but uh you know they uh 
I, what I found interesting, it was uh, Jeff Carlisle in his article for ESPN FC wrote, given the relatively low stakes, it was smart of Burhalter to give the alignment a try. And that was they played three at the back against Northern Ireland. I found it interesting because given the relatively low stakes, I don't want to start this. Then it's like, well, why didn't you take three or four of those players and put them over into the Olympic qualifying if it's relatively low stakes? But, uh, you know, no, no, that's that's crying for something that you can't control. You, because you, it's totally because, different having those guys in Europe in a camp where you don't have so much of regulations and 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 protocols yeah. and bring them no that's yeah, no, why I'm right. saying that's why I'm saying the commitment to this tournament Honduras brought in a guy from Italy to play two games yeah yeah yep that's good. but that was the goalie and by the way that's the only thing that the United States could have done because those are FIFA days. So do you have do you keep two or three roster spots open that you're not utilizing and jeopardize qualifying to the knockout stage just to be able to say bring in Polisic, Reina, and uh, and Wea. no no forget it okay. those guys are not gonna be allowed to go period I mean but if it's a FIFA date does it matter if it's a FIFA no. date because those games those they could have played two games it all, for it the all US on the regulation coming back. The team that this guy plays is not as big as the teams where Pulisic and Reyna play. I think they're no, still no, getting, I, it's not I, I a different that, deal. But it's, it's, still about, it's still about a FIFA open date, and Pulisic no, and Reyna were allowed to, to play for the U.S. national team in Europe. They, if, unless it was something specific with Mexico, that could have happened as well. They could have played there. But then again, they may not have even gotten the chance to play there because of the fact right. that the U.S. maybe have lost to Costa Rica because they didn't have enough guys on the bench for whatever situational they had. I mean, but, but this is what Panama, this is uh, not Panama, this is what Honduras did with their goalie. They were able to bring him in just for two games because those were FIFA dates. And he's gone because they don't, they don't care if they play or lose to Mexico at this point when they play them tomorrow. Or Tuesday because this will be out, I guess, tomorrow. Well, what's his does and how much how long will he have to quarantine when he gets back? Exactly. I guess it really depends about it, it depends on what the what the place is, right? What country he's in. Italy, it depends in what Italy. their regulations are. Right. right. So but the, the other thing is though, let's go back. So you're going back to the three five two or the three four three that he played. Um and it's a good thing. I, I see that as a positive, okay? Just going back to the national team. And I see that as a positive because not only does not only do you see what your team can accomplish in that formation, and you have many players that can play, that can easily adapt from a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 or 4-4-2 into that formation without having to make a lineup change, that now you know that you can play that, play that well, and not only do you know that, and that helps you as a team, but also now, now you give other teams something else that they've got to spend time on and scout. And maybe that, that takes away from some of the scouting and some of the preparation they would have had against another formation. So it gives them something extra to do. And I think that that's important, and it keeps them guessing. So to that point, I think it's a, it's a very successful experiment and I think it's something positive. God, yeah. yeah. By the by the way, Roberto, the player is not a is, is not a goalie. It's an actually attacking midfielder. It's Rigoberto sorry. Rivas. Okay, sorry. That's what. That was Rivas. Oh, it was Rivas. I, I didn't even. Yes. Uh, I didn't recognize that. He's a good player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he is. 
He's yeah, compl- so the yeah, and and the I think the three at the back versus the uh, four three three or however uh, he wants to look at it. It really depends on who you value more. You know, Tim Weah or Anthony Robinson, right? I mean, Weah is a winger. So yeah, uh, for instance, for instance, I mean, you know, and there's a lot of other players that we could we could plug into those spots, but it also gives you Dest on the right side where he's he's probably a better player. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that uh, we we need to have two elements very clearly right now, especially after you know another debacle debacle like that what we saw last night. Great players doesn't make per se a good team. Right, so all that chatting and promotion of the huge talented player that you say have in Europe right now, and the players that are you know uh, committing to the program, it makes nothing until actually makes it work. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of like, good players that are gonna have a great career without going to the World Cup. They, they, let's, if so, I'm not mistaken, they haven't really played a quality opponent yet. This this you that's, and that's this okay. new young group, right? And yeah. that it's okay. And yeah. that it's okay. Sure. And but the I'm focus just... on the focus on this kind of matches cannot be the result. Sure. The focus on this kind of matches cannot be the way they play. Because if you are building a real process on this. You change way to play. You change the, the collapse. You change the system. You try new things. You commit mistakes, and then you take your conclusions and build your team for the real competition. That's what Burhalter said after uh, the U.S. got stomped by Mexico at MetLife Stadium in September of 2019. Were you saying the same thing then? I'm just curious, but that's what he said post game. It's like. We, I saw some things that I liked, and we're, we're still working on things. I mean, it, it's a tiny bit different because it's your big op, you know, opposition. It's your big rival. You want to win those games, even if you're playing a, a five-side game. But in the big scheme of things, I will say the same. I need to understand, and I need the guys to understand what this matters. Why is this so important? Because if you see... Those are players that are playing in a different level, in a different environment. And we need them to feel this environment and learn from this because we don't want to lose the games that really matters. That's really interesting because no, because Mexico, the, what he t- what he said. And uh, I think you guys remember, I got a chance to chat with him for like 45 minutes recently for the convention. And uh, I asked him about that and he said, well, we knew most of the teams we compete against are not going to press as high. And we knew Mexico was. So what better opponent to try to work on how we're going to build out of the back under pressure than Mexico? And you'll remember that I think two of the three goals were scored as a result of not handling that sort of pressure very well. And let me tell you something that if I can for a second, you may may speak, you may speak. speak. Thank you. Greg (laughs) Berhalter can do that because he's got the luxury of coaching in the United States. And it makes it a lot easier to do something like that because there is no media pressure like he would have if it was the other way around and Tata Martino decided that he wanted to experiment to playing out of the back because he knows that the U.S. pressures and he loses 3 nothing because he would get crucified 
And you know how Party much he cared about five India minutes Russia? after the game. No, but it, it winds up mattering. No, it may, you know, Kaka himself may not basically care, but they're going to be bombarding him 24 7. Look, he wrap it, fight it. Yeah, care. but it affects the team. It affects the players. Everybody talks about it. It's a luxury here not to have that sort of pressure to be able to do that. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. Because, just not, because that, that, that media analysis that goes on and the, 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 the crucifixion of coaches for losing friendly games, which happens often, then and, and guys vying for jobs like Hugo Sanchez does every time the Mexican national team loses. And he's like, out. well, if I'm coaching, that wouldn't happen. All right. But, so but, that, that thing winds up negatively affecting your team. And so Greg Berhalter, good for him, takes advantage of that in a positive way to build his team and make it better. So take advantage of the fact that you don't have those pressures and do it and be able to do it and and you'll get a better result, and you'll and you'll be able to put together a better team. The, Roberto, you were at that game, and I think you were there when Tim Howard was. It was either pregame or halftime. I, I I can't recall. And and Howard spoke. Do you remember what he said about that game before it started? He basically said, "Must win game." I don't know. Yeah, he's he, he was like, "This is a must win. You have to beat Mexico. This is you have to win this game." You right. know, it, it's a stupid friendly at MetLife Stadium. And, you know, but that's but that's how and he's a former national team player. That's how he felt. That's how all those guys feel, you know, it, because they've been through national team player. Say what? But he, but yeah, is Berhalter is. That's right. Of course, that's right. But, I mean, but he sees a bigger picture, but he sees a bigger picture. And yes, anybody wanted to win and Berhalter wanted to win. I'm sure that he did. But he also understood, hey, I'm finally getting this team together. I'm going to have very few opportunities to be able to work in the lab with, you know, real players in a real game situation against an opponent that's going to do this to me. I've got to do it. And, you know, good for him. All right, we got to wrap this thing up. So uh, U.S. Open Cup, I do want to talk about that a little bit because this announcement today was crazy. (laughs) The top eight teams in MLS – in the standings on May 3rd, we'll, we'll take those eight slots for the U.S. Open Cup now that reduced to 16. I just don't know. Boys, it was uh, it was fun. I thought it was um, I, I thought it was a, a really uh, worthwhile discussion about the, the game we love and uh, whether we our opinions differ or not. It's, uh, you know, everyone. Um, I thought everybody backed up their opinion really nicely tonight, especially me. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so, so you think. Yes. So uh no Tom Colker tonight, but Ariel Hudas. Thank you very much for uh for joining us. Uh, also Roberto Abramowitz and John Rojas. And I would like to say that Roberto and I, uh the next two uh friendlies preseason scrimmages for New York City FC are going to be live streamed starting with April the fourth against DC United, who who is also happens to be the uh, opening day opponent. But Roberto and I will be uh, co-commentating on that match on Sunday, April the 4th at uh, 3 p.m. So I hope everyone will be watching and critiquing Roberto. And uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that it's going to be in English for crying out loud because it's nobody wants English. to hear you in Spanish. That's no, for sure. No, so we'll, we'll keep it in English. You can throw a few Spanish things out there if you want while I'm you know sipping on my coffee. But uh, outside of that, it will be the only Spanish part. thing we're doing is that we're going to do it the Mexican way. 
So you're going to call the game in the first half, and I'm going to analyze, and then I'm going to call the game in the second half, and then you're going to analyze. That's good. That's I, good. I like that. I like that. Well, we're, we're, we're going to go do that. So people will learn a little bit about soccer the second half, right, John? So listen. <laughs> and by the way, there's one thing that you wanted to, that I wanted to say, and I, I mean this seriously. Don't sell yourself short when you say, well, you know, you've never coached at this level. You coach Carly Lloyd. Carly Lloyd has won how many world championships already? How many? Uh, well, she's won. An Olympic, an, an Olympic gold two, medals? Uh, All right. Three. So don't, don't sell yourself short because none of those guys have probably coached anybody who won a World Cup. Don't sell yourself short. We love you. You're short. I'll You're just short, be short. I'll just be short, short, but don't. I won't sell right. myself short. Yeah. Right. Okay. Look who's talking, you... John Rojas. Glad. <laughs> <laughs> now you can you cannot close with the line that you were supposed to close with Roberto. And Roberto, remember, your life is full of losses. You only win sometimes. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> that is the quote. That's the quote of the that, year. That, 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 that really is, is stunning. All right. That, that well, that's the case in for those of you who haven't heard it. Yeah, well, just go on our that's Twitters. A, I, think, I, think, I think that's on everybody's Twitter. But uh, yeah. anyway, gents, uh, we'll uh, look forward to chatting again soon. And again, for uh, Ariel, Roberto, John, I'm Glenn Crooks. Thanks for joining us.